Now, um, this morning we're going to hear from um, uh, one of our mission partners as a church, which is Compassion. Compassion are the child sponsorship organization who work all over the world. But in particular, we as a church, we partner with them with some projects, which are areas in the Philippines around the city of Cebu in uh, the eastern Visayas of the Philippines. And so we're going to hear from Simon soon. But first, I want to show you a video, which is an update of what has been happening, happening over the last couple of years with Compassion and particularly in the Philippines. So, have a look at the screen. Maopay nga alo sa amon mga hinigugma nga sponsor. Ako si Junalyn Nataga, Pilipinas. Hi everyone. I'm John and I work as a partnership facilitator. On the onset of the pandemic, I've seen families suffering. The direct impact of COVID-19 created emotional struggles for families. Hopelessness. How will fathers feed their families now that some of them no longer have jobs? Online sexual exploitation of children, OSEC, overall in the Philippines has increased because children are locked down, people are desperate, and the sexual predators online take advantage of that situation. We have a huge campaign against OSEC that's being done right now. It's successful in educating parents, successful in educating churches and people about the nature of this menace. Compassion has made sure that there will be interventions for food security, for livelihood. We have given around 13 to 15 waves of relief operations for the children not just food supplies, but even other health needs and other health kits to protect them. You hear stories about resilience, about faith. I mean, when, when you want to learn about faith, about resilience, about dependence on God, listen to these people because it's not theory for them. It's reality. I'd like to share a story of a very hopeful and resilient man. Aries in play is the first graduate of Belira Cluster. He was abandoned by his father. His family has to be relocated several times. He experienced a lot of trials in his life. But through the help of the church, giving him hope, love, and financial support, he was able to finish college. And now he's preparing for his board exams. Through the help of compassion, every child is given the opportunity to be loved by someone from afar. It foreshadows God's adoption. And for them to receive assurance from the sponsor that they are prayed for, that they are cared for, supported, and continually loved, that just lifts a ton of burdens over and anxiety over their shoulders. Because now the sponsor is experiencing some of the pain that these children are going through. You know, having to live with uncertainty. And I know that that's a connection that really works right now in this crisis. That they are communicating at a common point of pain, of uncertainty. And that the only thing holding them together is the love of Jesus Christ. That means life to a child. Salamat sa iyong padayan na pagsuporta. Kami nga mga kabataan din sa Pilipinas, permi namon kamo ginaampo. Kinikugma kamo namon ngandako amon pagpapasalamat tungod sa iyo. Pagpabilin nga marigon.
Would you join me in welcoming Simon Ward as he comes to share with us? Hey, Simon. Welcome. Now, from that video, there's um, some exciting, kind of heartwarming things and some devastating things as well. But but tell us, what is it that drives you in your work with compassion? Why do you do what you do? Uh, long story short, I was a pastor for 20 years and um, inherited a whole mishmash of mission uh, mission projects supported by the church. So we did an audit and um, I asked a group from the church to say, can you find some way of connecting with mission so it's not just giving money to something but it's engaging with it and um, they came back to me after a couple of months and said compassion and I said who's compassion <laughs> not knowing I'd end up here um, and and I think for me that what what I found in compassion was was not just an organization giving out money they were in relationship they were working in and through the local church and that whole kind of concept of um uh, it, it, it wasn't just something out there. It was something our people could identify with. And, and that got my head, and I agree with that, and we got, got started. And then I went to visit, and that really messed me up. And uh, it went from here to here, and then commission got in my heart. And then I just started to see people in church come on board more and more because it was longevity. It was about education. It was about spiritual growth. It's about discipleship program. It's about having a mentor. It's about making sure they got food and... Um, access just have a childhood it, it covered all the four real basic things of security that we all look for and and I was just astounded with what I read about it and then when I saw it on the ground it, it heightened um, what happened so to, I never thought I'd finish being a pastor that's my calling that's what I was about but I guess I still do that actually um, uh, pastor to pastors I do a lot of that uh, meeting with other pastors but but also just saying to people there's a whole world out there you know, we talk about the developing world. I hate that term, by the way. Like it says that we're developed. <sighs> oh yeah, <laughs> I could. We could all list some things of our own brokenness, couldn't we? Um, we live in the minority world. The majority of the world is has less material possessions than us. That's the majority, and um, I want to raise awareness of of that and see what what can we do better together. Mm. What you said before about how you never really finished being a pastor, I really appreciate about, appreciate about you. So you're not just here because you're able to facilitate us to engage with compassion and help sponsor children. But I know that the message that, that you're bringing that God's put on your heart will be helpful for us, each as individuals as well. So we're looking forward to that. Um, but the, the great video that we watch, what would you add to that based on what you know in real time about what's happening in the Philippines and, and maybe even in the projects where many of our children are from? Sure. I think we all have, I include myself in this, we all have a tendency to think that other people are the same as us. It's kind of the way we work. We know that that's not true, but it's kind of the way we work in terms of culture and thinking and those things. But just to give you some ideas, so when we think about COVID, um, you're probably fed up of hearing about it. You know, it's been all, all over the place. But, but I think once it goes off the news, we kind of forget about it unless... You know, my daughter's got COVID at the moment, so it kind of bring, brings it back up again. She's got to isolate, her husband's got to isolate, all of those things. We actually have more have, have had more registered cases of COVID in Australia than in the Philippines. That's registered, though. <laughs> so, and, and there's people I know that here, here I guess, um, that don't register the fact that they've had COVID. And you imagine in a country that's got a lot more poverty, it's even more heightened there. But then when you look at the death rate... That's where, where the figures go. So we've had seven, about 7,000 deaths through to COVID because our big wave came with a, a lesser strain. 
the Philippines had their major first two waves with I forget the term is it Delta the, the you know the the more extreme version so we've had 7,000 deaths they've had 60,000 so it depends what statistics you look at we had lockdown but the government gave handouts they had lockdown no handouts so if you live hand to mouth and your only way of getting food today is to work today and the government say lockdown not allowed out you don't eat today and if that goes on you don't eat tomorrow so then what do you do so the, the, the extremities of what happens in poverty escalates. Can you, can you talk about school as yeah. well for the kids? If you add into that schools, in the Philippines, the kids started going back to school in November last year. 22 months not going to school. Now, the kids in the room are excited by that idea. <laughs> but tell us what that, what that means long term. There's some, some online school available, some online school available, if you've got internet access and a device and then if you haven't you can get books but if your parents haven't been very educated they can't help you and then it doesn't happen but you add to that there are children that haven't started school for two years they're, 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 just get a hold of this they're two years behind their schooling even before they start and who does it impact? those in poverty it just happens again and again and again so it's those things we don't hear about on the news that, that, which is why sponsorship is so, so important. One of the things in the Philippines with Compassion, they were getting food parcels out to people before the government. And that's the local church, not Compassion. It's the local church doing that. And that's something I love, that it's a local church reaching out into their communities. They're becoming the hub in the community um, and, and loving the people. It's phenomenal. It's what I love, one of the things I love about Compassion. Yeah. Can you talk about um, the sponsorship that our church already has with, with children? And for anyone who is not a sponsor, why would they consider doing mm. it? So as a, as a church, I think we've got a slide. There's about 115 um, people sponsoring, um, majority in the, in the Philippines. So, and can I just say thank you? For those of you who are sponsoring, thank you for what you're doing to make a difference. Um, it really does make a difference. So for longevity, keeping going at it. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. If you're um, if you're not sponsoring, can I put it can I put it like this? There's a there's a photo of a family. If you could just flick that family up, the uh, little girl in the middle there. Her name is Althea. I met her in the Philippines about be about three four years ago now, and I was there when she was told she had a sponsor. I will never forget it. And she was sitting on a on a white white chair, similar to one of these I know there's white garden chairs, I've shown one of those hands in her lap and the, the lady from the, I'd taken a church visit, a group to go and visit and a grandfather in the church wanted to sponsor a seven year old with his granddaughter who was eight so they said, well, about the same age and so he said when you're in the Philippines can you find a child about that age and we'll put together a little welcome pack and a letter and a cuddly koala kind of thing and and would you, would you tell them that we'd be delighted to sponsor her? And we arranged this with Althea up on the screen there. And I was talking to the pastor at the time. We were having a conversation like this and Althea was sitting over there. I have no recollection what the pastor looks like or what we talked about because I just got gripped with what was happening over his shoulder where her hands suddenly came out of her lap and she started clapping them like this, this big smile on her face. And then she buried them again like a bit embarrassed, you know, of, what had happened and I excused myself from this conversation to go and, and sit with her and, um, and just to find out a bit more and, and that was a, deli- a huge delight in there another story the next day they said would you like to meet Althea's family I said I'd love to so then I met Rami and Joy 
You see their pictures there. And then I heard Rami's story, and this is what, how I encapsulate what sponsorship does. He, he has a horrendous story. Um, basically on the street at six, no support, no family, with his sisters, two sisters, begging outside the cathedral. He, he somehow managed to get himself to school. There's a whole story in there. I quizzed him on. Phenomenal drive in this man. He just said, I knew God had more for me than this. Six-year-old, begging on his own. I know that God has more for me than this. God at work. He gets himself through the majority of school and he, he gets married. He's got two little girls, Althea and a younger sister. He now works uh, at a water bottling factory. He works six days a week. He leaves the house at five. The kids are in bed asleep when he leaves. He gets back at eight. They're in bed when he gets home. And he sees them on Sundays. He is working all the hours God sends. He can't work any harder. He's doing everything he can do. He's so motivated, um, so passionate, so loved his family. What he's doing just covers their basic necessities. Just the basics. If anything goes wrong, they've got a medical need or, or something extra is asked for, he doesn't have enough for that. And he said this to me. He said, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for sponsorship. We'll be all right now. I'll never forget not just the words he said, but how he said it, of this gratefulness of a father saying, I know now that if something goes wrong, if I can't work tomorrow, if I'm sick, we'll be okay. That's the difference a sponsorship makes. It covers education. It covers spiritual growth. It covers physical needs of food and well-being. Um, and it covers socio-emotional, which is hugely important, that says to a child, you may be in poverty, but poverty doesn't have to be in you. You might be the one to lift your family out of poverty. And that side is really important. And that's the part that a sponsor can play, particularly with letter writing, yeah, to talk, encourage go, go that. Go to that now. So for those of us who, who have sponsored children, talk about letter writing. There's a slide with some stats on. So 361 letters written to and from this church. How cool is that in the last 12 months? However, if you dig a bit deeper, if your eyes can go to those numbers underneath, 124 letters were sent by you guys and 300 and... Uh, so 127 sent by the sponsors, so that's you guys sending to children, and 230, 250, 30? Oh, 237. I am getting my eyes tested, by the way. <laughs> 237 sent um, by the children. The kids are better letter writers than you. That, that's an average statistic. I get that everywhere. But actually, it's concerning. And I just want to... I've been praying about how to describe this and I don't know how to do it because this statistic is pretty much the kids write twice as many letters as the sponsors. That's pretty normal across the churches if I took an average. And the reason for it, I believe, is this. And what I'm going to say is a simplistic, a simplistic way of putting it, but it's far more complicated than this. So please don't misunderstand me. In the West, we generally think of poverty as a lack of material, lack of finance, lack of money. If you say poverty, that's what we think. It's, it's in our cultural thinking, our background, our DNA. Even if we know it's bigger than that, it's the basic way of how we look at poverty. So we think that giving money 
is the main thing, the most important thing. So we do that and we think letter writing is not very important. However, if you're in a country in poverty, for the majority of those countries, the most important thing is relationship because you can't survive without that. If I put it like this, in terms of our country, if I if I came to you and said, um, okay, uh, if your house burnt down and your wallet got stolen and your car keys got stolen and you, you've just got the clothes you're in, how long would it take before you could go to someone and ask them for a meal and you know you'd get one? And for most people, it would be minutes of someone that they could go to a call, a family member, a friend, and say, oh, yeah, come on, I'll feed you, no problem. How long would it take you to get shelter? And for most people, it could be minutes to hours that you'd have somewhere to stay that night at no charge. Abject poverty is when you have nowhere to go and no one to go to. And everything has gone. Our poverty in this nation actually is relational. That's why our suicide rate is so high, particularly amongst young men. People have friendships and have relationships, but they're not very deep. They're not really dependent. They're not really deep. Our poverty is relational. And so often you go to a nation like Philippines or Thailand or other nations and people say they haven't got much but they seem happy. How tragic is that statement? Because that statement says you've got to have stuff to be happy. Which is our culture. Am I making sense? So when we give money and we think that's the most important thing and we don't write a letter and that goes to a nation that thinks the other way around money is helpful but the most important thing is relationship can you see how that gets misunderstood and that's the scary part where you might start feeling guilty and I hope you do because I need that and we need that we need the nudge and I hope this example will help you try and think about different types of poverty and it's all important so I've sat with a child, an 18-year-old child, just about to finish the program in the Philippines, and I said to her, tell me about your sponsor. Her name is Lee May. And she looked down at her lunch and didn't say a word. And I thought, what have I said? So I, I pressed her and I said, I'm sorry if I've offended you. Uh, can you tell me what have I said that, that has upset you? She said, I don't know anything about my sponsor. I said, how come? And she said, I've never had a letter. And then she looked at me straight in the eyes and said, don't they love me? How would you answer that? And I had to fumble some kind of answer, but that's a description of what I'm talking about. And that's why writing letters are really important. You can write online, you can write by hand, you can send a card, which I make it, you write from your phone, you can write from your computer, which I make it as easy as possible. Short letters, like even just a paragraph every month is much better than an epic once a year. Most people procrastinate because they can't think what to write. Just write ordinary stuff about your day. Your day is different to their day. Just do ordinary ordinary things like that. But I can't stress enough. Um, you know, Some kids are great at writing letters. Some adults are great at writing letters. It's not a perfect system. And sometimes the letter you get from your sponsors aren't what you hope for either. It's complicated. But if you can grab hold of that heart and see that money and relationship, they're both equally important. They're just different types of poverty. And if you can try and do the giving 
and the letters. Uh, I, I would love to see a church where that statistic is the other way around. I've yet to see it. I'd love to see it. And I'll put the challenge out there in churches I go to. But to see, let's see what we can do about that. Um, if you write to the kids, they'll write back. If you do nothing, they'll write twice a year. That's how it works. And they'll write up to six times a year. So if you wrote once a month, technically speaking, we could double that number. Could do once a month, a paragraph once a month. Is that too much to ask? There's a challenge. There's a challenge for you. Relational poverty and material poverty, they're both devastating. Thanks, Simon. I appreciate that. So for those of us who are sponsors, a letter writing is super easy and we can all do it. And you could chat to Simon more about some ideas afterwards if you like. And if by the end of today you're interested in sponsoring, we'll talk about some really easy ways you can take steps today. But I'm going to hand over to you. You've got a message for us? So yes. Thanks, mate. Thank you. I was sitting down. I love people watching, by the way. I, uh, I, I, who are my fellow people watchers? Where are you? Yeah. And, and it's not kind of spooky. I just find people fascinating. Look, we all look different, yet, yet we all look the same. Do you know what I mean? There's characteristics of being human. And, and I just find people's interaction really interesting. So I was sitting over there watching as some of you were singing. Because <laughs> not all of you were. And, and, you know, our bodies speak, don't they? And I'm looking around thinking, what's going on in their mind, you know? They're not singing. They look a bit flat. Maybe they just don't like the song. That, that would be true for some of you, I guess. Maybe just having a bad day. Maybe you don't want to be here. And others of you, arms in the air, going for it with all your worth. And here we are having the same experience in the same room, but different things going on. So wherever you are on that continuum of, of really wanting to be here or or, or not really wanting to be here, and or wherever other mixtures going on. As I sat there, I felt the Spirit of God impressing something on me to say to you. This is before I get to the message, all right? And it's this. Are you ready? He loves you. He really loves you. No matter what's going on in your life, He loves you. No matter how you feel about being here or not being here, he loves you. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you because that is who he is. It's a phenomenal thing about Christianity compared to any other world faith. It's about... God reaching out to humans, not humans reaching out to God. Ever, all of the others are the other way around. How fantastic is that? To have a God like that. And Jesus on the cross took about poverty. They took everything away from him. We don't have a sanitized Jesus on the cross like we do in the pictures. For that then, naked on the cross, cast lots for his clothing, no material possessions, nothing. Relational poverty. His friends deserted him. Disowned him, denied him, ran away because of fear. And even his father turned his back on him. Talk about relational poverty. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's our Jesus. 
What a God. What a God. Let that sink in. Let that get inside you. I want to talk about one word today. As I've got older, whether it's because I'm getting older and I can't remember as much, no, I don't think it's that. We're on information overload. Apparently, information doubles. The amount of information available in the world doubles every 24 hours. I heard that from someone I respect. I don't know how you find that out, but at at the time of Jesus, it took 1,500 years for the information to double. 1,500, and we get every 24 hours. If, if the majority of you been in and around churches for a while, you don't need a lot more information from me. You know a lot already. The big question is, what are we doing with it? How are we living it out? Out there. And so, rather than three points, which used to be the thing I was taught when I did Bible college a long time ago, I just want to give you one word. If someone on the street or a neighbour says to you, hey, you go to church, what do they talk about in church? You can say, ah, they talked about this. One word, you remember that? And I'm just going to talk about one word from some different angles and hopefully, hopefully from the different angles there's, there's something that will resonate with you wherever you are on that continuum that I spoke about at the beginning. And I'm going to give you the word and then we're going to uh, read uh, from God's word together. The word is this. You ready? Interruptions. Interruptions happen all the time, don't they? If you're a parent, if you're a parent, how many of you had an interrupted night last night? Where are you? <laughs> Here we go. See, they're looking at weary. You know, we can have a, we can plan our day out, get it all worked out, and then something else happens. Two years ago, I was in Cairns. I was going down the street, and the car came in the back of me and rear-ended me, pushed me the car in front. It was a big interruption, not only in my day but in my life, because it left me with headaches for two years. That was a big interruption, that one. Do you know what I mean? So interruptions come in different shapes and sizes. They can be minor inconveniences and can they be other things that can cause a ripple effect that actually really, really impacts our lives. One thing I know is you go through the Gospels, the majority of the accounts in the Gospels are interruptions. Interruptions are our stories. It's why when you say to your son or your daughter, what did you do at school today? And they say, nothing. <laughs> they mean nothing out of the ordinary. They mean there were no interruptions. Had there been a fire, you'd have heard about that. Had the teacher collapsed teaching the lesson, you'd have heard about that. Had someone burst into the classroom and let off a party popper, you'd have heard about that. Because interruptions are our stories. That's what we talk about at dinner. The different things. They are inconveniences, but they become our stories that we talk about. Our embarrassing moments. An interruption. <laughs> and down the track we talk about them. So let's, uh, we're going to look at um, Mark chapter 5. And my computer wakes up. Here we go. This passage has interruption after interruption after 
interruption. Jesus, uh, just backstory, Jesus has returned from being the other side of the lake. He's cast out the, the demons out of legion and the pigs are interrupted. They're just feeding and then they rush down a hill. And So there's a whole lot of interruptions been going on already. And he gets into a boat and he comes the other side of the lake ready for business as usual. And this is where we pick up the story in Mark 5, verse 21. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, Please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death, and she's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her, heal her, and she will live. First interruption. Business as usual. Guy pushes through the crowd, falls at Jesus' feet. Pretty obvious. It's a big interruption. Here's the request. Immediately, Jesus stopped his business as usual and went with him. And the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now in the crowd that day was a woman who'd suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. How horrible. She had endured a great deal of under the care of various doctors. I'm not sure why the word care is in there. I've endured a great deal from various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on the treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. Huge crowd. Some people looking to see a miracle, and that's the only reason they're there, Them people desperately needing one. When she had heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd, came up behind him, and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could touch even his clothes, I know I will be healed. Interruption two. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Wow. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him. I love the way this is put in in the, the Passion Translation, which I'm reading from. Jesus knew at once that that someone had touched him for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. What was that like? Can you imagine? What was that? He felt that power had gone out from him. I'm going to unpack that a bit more in a little while. He turned and spoke to the crowd saying, Who touched my clothes? His disciple answers, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd, they're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him for healing. You love that about Jesus, can't let it go. Because she was healed, but she wasn't whole. You know the difference? She was healed, but she wasn't yet whole. See her reaction? When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear and threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him the story of what had happened. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So go with peace in your heart and be freed from your suffering. 
She came healed, went away whole. She, she touched a rabbi and made him unclean, which was amazing because he was about to go and touch a dead body which had made him unclean, so it was all okay. <laughs> Don't you love that? That, that an unclean person touches a clean person, makes the clean person unclean. That was the, the Jewish thinking. Jesus, who is clean, touches the dead person and they become clean. <laughs> works the other way around. I just love how God works. Upside down kingdoms, phenomenal. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. So, if you like, that's kind of that's another interruption from the original interruption but we're not done yet before he had finished speaking interruption we're up to four I think now people arrived from Jairus' house and pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news there's no need to trouble the master any longer your daughter has died I'm going to rephrase this next verse but Jesus interrupted their conversation refused to listen to what they were told and said to the official don't yield to fear all you need to do is keep on believing Interruption after interruption after interruption after interruption. If, you, if you're a procrastinator, you probably like interruptions. Don't get confused. They're actually distractions, those ones. You don't want those ones, right? Interruptions, I'm talking a different, all right? So if you are a, a master procrastinator, um, this is not a way to help you to procrastinate. The whole of the gospel story is about interruptions, Interrupting the reign of sin in the world. People coming in. We've got Abraham and, and, and coming in to bring an interruption to the way things are already going. Noah interrupting what was already happening in the world and how bad things were getting. Jesus coming in to interrupt what was going on with all the religious systems and everything and to bring wholeness and healing and, and right understanding about the kingdom and to see that happening. And our whole dating system changes as a result. The whole of the message of the gospel is about an interruption to business as usual. What are your what are your interrupt what do your interruptions look like? Phone calls, texts, Facebook, other forms of social media. I mean we just get bombarded with interruptions on our time and that we end up getting quite scattered it's hard to settle in fact on the plane on the way here never did speak to the person sitting next to me headphones on the whole time don't know anything about her at all got a smile when we passed the nuts down the line you know that kind of thing that was it just information going on all the time and, and sometimes it's hard to get in because of, of, of where we are that we don't want to be interrupted or actually we don't have space for an interruption because we are so busy. Last time I was up here, which is only on, uh, earlier on um, in April and I was doing some work in Mariba and coming between here and in fact, in fact I think I was coming here to see Jeff, I think it was en route or on the way back that this happened. I, I noticed the car was an old, a um, fairly old Holden car, um, bonnet up, and, and a group of people sitting down beside it. So I used to be a mechanic, and I pulled over to ask if they were okay, if they got water or anything we could do. And they said, thank you so much for stopping. I know we've got plenty of water. Explain what was going on. They just said, 
Um, thank you, so many cars have gone past and nobody's stopped. We did a bit of finding out, a bit of digging. I couldn't fix the problem was, but we talked about what they might be able to do to, to get on from there. And I thought, that's sad. All these cars going past, it's a hot day and nobody stopped. No one stopped to see how they were doing. Why? Because of an interruption in our busy lives. And that's often what happens. Whereas Jesus, the master of interruptions, just five of them, I think, in this one passage, one after the other, and he stops, even though it's urgent to get to this child before she dies. It's urgent. It's pretty urgent, would you say? Like it's the ambulance thing on the blue light. You know, that's, that's where he's heading. And yet, who touched me? <laughs> think of Jesus. Don't, don't worry about that. This... Don't, don't, don't. really matted for that lady really matted for her car accidents if, if you've either had one you're grateful when people interrupt their day to help you or if you've been in one like I was I mentioned a little while ago I was very grateful um, for people who came and helped me who did stop and helped us to get stuff sorted out. Really grateful. An interruption in their day. I was, um, I go to servos a lot. <laughs> I travel a lot. I'm in the car a lot. So I, you know, do those, fill up with fuel. And I remember going to this one. I was on the way up north to North Queensland, stopped at a servo, filled up with fuel, went, went in. And I used to work at a servo a long time ago. It was in the days when servos just sold kind of a few chocolates and oil and and you had to go out and serve people. That was those days. Some of you remember that. Now, I go into the servo and not only do you have to kind of do the petrol thing, you have to you have to be a barista. So you have to do coffee now. And probably pies, you've got to heat those up and do those things as well. So you're multidisciplined now to work at a servo. And the guy was flat-strapped. There was about four or five people in front of me in the in the line, and, and I just looked at him in all of his body language, saying, "I'm not coping." <laughs> and I, I, anyway, I got got to my point. I'm just about to say my number of my the pump, and this lady comes up beside me, jumps the queue, and says, "I'm, I'm sorry for um, uh, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> um, I can't get my petrol flap open." This is to the the guy behind the counter. Can you help? And his face fell even more. You know, just like. I, I'm not coping at the moment. I can't. And, and so I just looked at him and I said, you look like you're having a tough day. He said, you know the half of it. And I said, look, I'm not in a hurry. I used to be a mechanic. Would you like me to go and help her out? And then I'll come back, join the end of the queue. And he said, oh, thank you so much. So I go, I go and with a couple of minutes, we got her sorted. I come back in and by now everything's calmed down. No one else is, is there. And I get to the counter and the guy falls on his knees and says, can you help me find Jesus? No, he didn't. <laughs> it's what we want to happen, isn't it? You know, It's what we want, it's what we long for in those evangelism things to happen. They can happen. I think the most important thing is go out there and love people by opening a petrol flap on a car. By just saying, how are you going? your day going staying in a motel and um, you know I'm a bit hair challenged as you can tell that's having five kids and three grandkids I think that's part of that but and and the girl at the she had, she had this amazing hair like out here and I just thought and I said to her your hair is incredible 
And we had a conversation about hair. I don't usually have many hair conversations, as you can imagine. How long did that take? And she just smiled. And I interrupted what we were doing, but to bless her. But the, going back to the guy in the servo, no, he didn't fall on his knees, but he just said, thank you for helping me. I said, so what's happened to your day? He said, oh, we usually got someone that does all the cooking side of things and does all of that, and he's off sick. So I'm having to do both. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm glad that I could help you a bit. And I don't know, my hunch is when he got home to his wife or partner or whatever he goes to back at home, what was it? How was work? He said, oh, cook didn't turn up. Hey, but this guy, this guy helped me out and he just stopped to listen to me. I just like to think that he might have spoken about that interruption. As believers, we have this incredible opportunity to go out and love people. And that way of loving them is often going to be an interruption into our life and our business as usual. So look out for those opportunities and don't run yourself so tight of time that you can't do that. Out of those opportunities, you may get someone fall on their knees like Jairus did in front of Jesus. Bear Grylls, I love his, I love his stuff. And, and he, 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 he never has an alarm clock. He says, it's terrible things. He said, first thing in the morning, what's the first thing that happens? You're alarmed. <laughs> you wake up alarmed. <laughs> you know, Terrible. He says, I like to call them opportunity clocks. Just a change of words, but I kind of like that. An opportunity clock. So maybe think of interruptions as opportunities. And let me wrap up with with this. There are different ways interruptions will come this week and I can pretty much guarantee they will come. Most of us will get multiple interruptions this week. And we don't know anything about those, what they're going to be yet necessarily, but we can choose to engage with them or not. And I hope that you will on the basis of what we've talked about this morning. But if I can put this into a compassion context, from the the mid-90s, extreme poverty has been on a decline, which is a good thing, going the right direction. Not by a lot, about 1% a year until COVID. COVID has put extreme poverty up by about 7%. So we've gone backwards seven years, if I can put it in those terms. Estimations are about 150 to 170 million people going into extreme poverty as a result of COVID alone. I'd love to see that figure go the other way. You can do something about that by sponsoring a child. And can I put it in interruption terms? If you pick up a profile, they're on the table out there, and you sponsor a child, you interrupt poverty in their life. It's a really good thing to give them hope. You give them a chance for a relationship with the letters. You give them a chance to put in some finance. Those things are there. Whether you're watching online or whether you're here, there's an online link available for those watching online if you want to sponsor. What will it cost you? It'll cost you some time to write a letter. And it will cost you $11 a week to sponsor one child. How many of you drink coffee? Who are the coffee drinkers here? This is not a criticism, by the way. I like coffee too. Do you realise if you bought, if you go to a coffee, if you go to a coffee shop and you buy a, co- a coffee a day out, 
And he decided not to do that anymore. And he said, I'm going to put that money to sponsorship. That would sponsor three kids. One coffee a day. Or if you do, approximately, if you do three coffees a week, that would sponsor one child. So how about buying a coffee and not have the coffee? If I can put it like that. Just in terms of thinking of what that means, $11 a week, $48 a month will sponsor a child and could interrupt poverty in their life and in their family. And if you can do that, that's a really good thing. All the, all, pretty much all the kids I've brought today are from the same area in the Philippines, in Cebu. Um, but I've got a few children that are from other countries as well that are older. So it might be that you're already sponsoring with compassion and you think, oh, with COVID, I could do another child for two, three years. I could do that. And it might be that, and you're already sponsoring the Philippines, you'd like to pick one of those older kids from one of the other countries just for a shorter period of time, or you can only sponsor for a short period of time. That might be an option for you, so just come and ask when I'm at the table. Let me pray. Father, thank you for interrupting the flow of sin in the world and sending your son. Thank you for not just loving us, but for being love and the essence of what love is. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us an example of taking on board interruptions to see people's lives changed and people helped. And I want to pray for us as a church that this week, with the interruptions that we don't yet know about that are going to come, Father, would you pour love through us, help us find ways to to be there and listen for people, to be engaged with them and to give ourselves fully to what's there, even though we may have another agenda. And I pray, Father, for all the kids' faces that are on cards out there that have no idea that I'm talking about them this morning. Father, I pray that you'd link those with a sponsor where there can be a mutual encouragement of relationship on a two-way street. And I pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.